0: Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Amen. Amen. Grab a seat. And howdy. howdy. Oh, it's a great bye week today, this weekend. Uh, nice chill time. Didn't have to stand at a game. Didn't have to. Yeah. And, uh. And so we got a next one coming up next week. So, but nice to have a little bye week. Um, I was actually, uh, out of town all week, which was really fun. I went to Colorado and, and it was absolutely great. And I'll tell you a little bit about it, but I want to read a little bit from the Gospel of Matthew before we jump in, and then we will jump into our, our sermon. So, uh, Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. I'll read a couple verses and then we will jump in. It says this. Now, and Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now, when the crowds, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let me pray for us one more time. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you so much for um, the opportunity to be here, to, to consider your word, to think about how your word might impact our lives. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would open up our eyes to see the harvest you are in the midst of working in and through. And Lord, sometimes it can be difficult to to look beyond the needs that we have in our own present life to, to the needs that are around in the world. So I just pray that you would help open our eyes. Help us to see what you want us to see. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, we've been in a series entitled, What Do You Believe? And the real purpose of the series is to lead us along a way of thinking, not not just about what do you believe about Jesus, but if you really believe these things about Jesus, it should impact the way that you live life. And so the first uh, sermon in the series was this, is Jesus real? Can you even believe that Jesus existed in history? And so we looked at secular arguments indicating, no, no, Jesus was actually a real human being who lived in history. Our second sermon we looked at was was this, um, is Jesus the only way? And we looked at the exclusivity claims, exclusivity claims of all sorts of peoples, all sorts of religions, all sorts of beliefs. And, and the reality is this you can't discount Christianity to become, because it claims to be exclusive. Every belief system becomes exclusive at some point. But Jesus actually claimed to be the only way to God the Father. And we could say, if he really is the only way to God, then I need to look at him, I need to learn a little bit more about him. But so if Jesus is real, if he is the only way... Thirdly, last week, we looked at the big storyline of the Bible. And we looked from Genesis to Revelation. We covered the entire Bible in 20 minutes, right? It was quite a feat. And in in that process, we saw that from the center of of the beginning of the story all the way to the end of the story, the center of history and the center of your Bible is this, the person of Jesus Christ. So if Jesus is real, if he's the only way... If he is truly the center of the story and history, the question we're going to answer today is this, well, do I have to go? Do I have to go and be a part of God's mission in the world? And I can say, yes, but we'll get there. Like I said, I was, I was, in, a, I was in Colorado over, the, over this past week, and, and Grace Bible Church um, has a desire to plant more campuses locally but as well plant more churches in the nation and in the world. And so we had the opportunity to go with uh, one of our elders and one of our other pastors to go visit Colorado. And we looked at two universities in particular, um, Colorado State University and Colorado University of Colorado at Boulder. So Fort Fort Collins and Boulder is where we kind of spent our time. And not to say that we're going to those places, but we were visiting and learning about the culture of those two schools. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about that later on. But while I was was gone, what I left at home were four children and one wife. Um, And that, although fun for me to be away and just sleep whenever I wanted to and just hang out with some guys and chill and go to restaurants. Sorry, babe. um, My wife was at home with four children, uh, eight to two years old. And when I came home on uh, late Thursday night, Friday morning, I walked into the upstairs area of, of our home. And I believe my children had taken everything that they owned and scattered around the entire upstairs all over the room. They had literally dumped out every Lego that they have all over the place. And when you're in that sort of environment, you're going, I, I just, I can't even walk, you know, like, cause Legos are very sharp, you know? And, and, and so at one point on Friday, they're all downstairs and they're running and screaming and I'm like, I'm trying to fix dinner and and uh, and the running, screaming, say, hey, guys, why don't y'all go play upstairs? And they go, we can't up there. It's a mess. And as soon as the words left their mouth, it was like they knew they indicted each other, right? They're just like, oh, no. And they just, they look, and I go, bingo. We are going to clean up that mess. And as soon as I said that, hey, we've got to clean up that mess, the, the response wasn't, father, I see your wisdom. <laughs> um I, I see that there are, there are some problems that we've created and that, that we ought to help fix the problems that are, that are there in the place. And No, no, what, what they said to me is, is this Do I have to? Do I have to? And you've all said that before. Like there's been some scenario that's come your way, and they, they said, Okay, you, you, you have an opportunity to do something. You have an opportunity to, to fix what's broken, to, to be a part. And, and your response, my response oftentimes is Hey, do I have to go? Like, do I have to? Do I have to finish that paper? Do I have to take that exam? Do, yes, you have. Do, do I have to clean my room and you're, with your roommates? Do I have to do the dishes? Like, do I, do I have to? Like, is it required of me to participate in this way? And, and I'll tell you this. As long as we have a view of going into the world that God is creating with a have-to mentality, if that's, those are our reasons that we have to go, our have-to reasons will create reluctant Goers. And as long as it's an issue of I have to, we never really will go with the heart that Jesus desires us to go with. And so what I want to do this morning is this. The opportunity you have to play a part. I want us to see what what God is, is doing and seeing in the world because it's a lot bigger than you think. And I thought a great place to start was this passage in Matthew. Because Jesus is walking with his disciples in this At this point in Matthew, he's he's been healing all sorts of diseases. He's been helping so many people. And as he's walking along with his disciples in this moment, he takes a moment to, to look at them and say, are you seeing the same things that I'm seeing? Are you praying for the same things that I'm praying for? Are you thinking about the same things I'm thinking about? He says, he went through all the cities of Galilee and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every type of affliction. Jesus is doing all sorts of miracles. All these different people are coming to, to a healing relationship with God and with themselves. In verse 36, he looks up and he sees the crowds. He sees that although he's done amazing things around, they're still not done. He saw the crowds and says he had compassion on them. The Greek word there is uh, splagnizomai, it's like his guts moved. It's like it turned, like it was a deep emotional feeling that he had when he saw these crowds and he says to them, he gives them a diagnosis, because they are harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He says when he sees the needs of these people, when he sees the problems that they're walking through, his diagnosis is this, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And that's an indicting statement. The leaders of Israel were supposed to be the shepherds of the flock. They were supposed to be the ones that cared for the people. But he looks and sees all these people hurting and helpless. They Literally, it's, it's like they're ripped open and thrown down is, is, is the, the literal rendering of those words. They're, they're not helped. They're hurting. And they have no one moving to care for them. And then he turns to his boys. He says, before we charge into the needs, here's what I want you to do. I want you to Pray. This is verse 37, and he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Hey, there's so many needs out there, but let's not charge into the needs. The first thing I want you to do, not charge into the needs, but come back here and and pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers into the harvest. I want you to pray that these needs will be met by the power of God because he is the only person that can fix these needs. I'll tell you what, the same is true in our day and age. God is the only one that can fix the needs of the world. Amen? Amen. God is the only one that can can give us the solution to the great problems of the world. But here's the deal. We may not see the needs as they really are. There's an amazing website um, called called the Joshua Project. And, Josh, okay. and, and what they've done is literally charted all the unreached people groups. They have a bunch of different gradations of what they call um, unreached peoples. But the ones that have um, a less than 1% of believers from their people group, um, they've charted all of those people. And so they have literally a map of the world that shows all of these different unreached people groups. There are approximately 7,000 of these people groups that are unreached, a population of over 3 billion people that are considered unreached according to their statistics, meaning less than 1% of believers in their region. You're like, okay, Kevin, well, what does actually, what does that mean? Well, we'll take one of those people groups. This people group is um, kind of on the, um, the western side of China. They're called the Yuguri. That's my best guess at a pronunciation. Um, and this, the population of this people group, and you can kind of see um, that region. You can't see the map very well. I'm very sorry about that. But um, the region that they are in is kind of that darker, brownish-looking area, and it's just north of uh, Kabul and, and, and that sort of area. So the, the religion, the primary religion of these people is, um, is they're Muslim, they're Islam. Um, there's about 11 million people in this people group. And to their best estimations, point point. 01% of these people are believers. If you do the math on that, that's roughly 1,100 believers for 11 million people in this people group that live in this region. So let's just put the math. What does that actually look like? What will that look like in our day and age? Well, um, Houston has roughly 6 million people in it, right? Dallas has roughly 5 million, but if you, can, if you uh, do the surrounding areas, you get much higher than that. Houston, you get much higher than that as well. Dallas actually has a larger metroplex than Houston. So if you put both of the metroplexes together, you get about 13 million people. So a little bit larger than this population. So think about the entire Dallas metroplex and the entire Houston metroplex. Put those together together. And assume there's a little over a thousand believers in those areas. Just let that weigh on you a little bit. Less than a thousand, a little over a thousand believers for 11 million people. Can you imagine going to Houston and Dallas and going, there are less than a thousand believers here. You'd be like, have you driven in Houston, Kevin? That's true. That's that's (laughs) affirmative. (laughs) It's not true. I mean, you've got two probably of the largest churches um, in the nation in Houston. One of them, uh, Lakewood, and another one would be Second Baptist. Those are huge churches. But you've got tons of other churches that have 5,000, 10,000, or more, all in the Houston area. Dallas, you've got the other gigantic churches, right? <laughs> Village, Watermark. You've got so many great churches, so many great believers in those areas. And you've got all these people that, that love the Lord in those areas with thousands and thousands in each one of those churches. But can you imagine in this whole region of people, this people group, they have less than a 1,000 believers. That's unreached. That's a very real and pressing need. And you look at that and you go, okay, Kevin, that's, that's globally, but what about here? Well, I was just looking at the AM mental health statistics, and they said this. According to the university, you can go on the university page right now and look at our health statistics. It says this, that... Um, for people ages 18 to 25, there's 21.7% of them have a mental health issue. At A&M, 24.4% deal with anxiety. So it's like one, two, four, anxiety struggle. One, two, three, four, anxiety struggle. One, two, three, four, anxiety struggle. See, there's need beyond, and there's needs right here for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's needs in the world and there's needs right here that Jesus is the only one that has the answer for it. And you walk across the, the campus, right? You walk across the campus and you see all these people. You see the sea of people. You're like, get out of my way, get out of my way. But, but if you stop for a moment and look and say, one, two, three, four, deep struggle. One, two, three, four, deep hurt. One, two, three, four, deep pain. I'll tell you what, it makes you look with the eyes of Jesus at these very deep needs in these very real people. They need the gospel. Breakaway is a phenomenal ministry on the campus. And sometimes it can feel like everyone has the solutions to their problems. Breakaway on a great day has 10,000 students there. That's a great day. It's a huge impact. There's 68,000 students at Texas A&M. It's a small portion of the whole pie. There's a lot of need. And when Jesus sees that need, he says, I got one response. I want you to pray that the Lord would send workers into his harvest. So the first thing I want you to encourage you to do is pray. As you walk through the the streets of campus, as you think about the unreached people groups, go to the Joshua Project. See the needs of the world and say, Lord, let my heart be broken for these needs. Let me get down on my knees and pray for these needs. But secondly, we give. The second way you participate in the work of Jesus, of God in the world, is this. You give. And that means you give financially. Luke 8, 1-3 says this. Soon afterward, he, that's Jesus, went through all the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some went infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons were gone. That was a great win. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, um, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, Listen to what they did, who provided for them out of their means. You ever wonder how Jesus' ministry was sustained? You ever wonder, like, how did Jesus continue to preach the gospel and travel around? It seems like he was kind of like a nomad during this season of traveling. How did he do that mission? There were people that were healed, people that were saved, people that were brought to life, and those people, out of the joy of their heart, went over and said, I can't wait to support this mission. I can't wait to give more to the work of Jesus. And I'll tell you what, when your heart is stirred for something, you can't help but spend money. Let me show you. <laughs> this is our next Aggie game, right? If you want to buy a ticket in the upper area, all right, Upper, upper, you pay 123 bucks, 124 bucks, 127 bucks. $100. You're going to pay money because your heart is stirred for Texas A&M University, right? If I was to ask you to give 100 bucks to something, you'd be like, "Well, Kevin, what are you going to give 100 bucks to?" If I was to tell you, hey, you get $130 for a ticket, you'd be like, sign me up. Some of you are not big football fans, but you may go to Taylor Swift. She doesn't have any shows here locally, unfortunately. And you're like, you're booing. Oh, oh, yeah. Closet Taylor Swift fans. Because I heard some of you, when she was in Houston, you all went there. If you want to go there in Tokyo, uh, you can only buy two tickets. It's 428 bucks for two tickets, 779 bucks for these tickets, and 1400 bucks for VIP pass, right? You're like, Kevin, I would never spend that much money. But some of you literally spent several hundred dollars to go see here in Houston. Hey, nothing wrong with that. I'm just showing your money goes to what you love. Your money goes to what you value. And I'll tell you what, if you love Jesus and you love his cause, if you have been healed, the natural response is to give. Out of the overflow of your heart, you give to the mission of God in the world. And some of you, you, you you're like, I don't know, but I, I can't give any money. But you buy Starbucks. And it's all about the heart. And so you can support missionaries. You can support friends going overseas. The bottom line is this. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If I want to know what you love, all i got to do is look at your checkbook. Do you give? Thirdly, You mobilize. You prepare people to head into the field. And that's what Jesus does. Matthew 10, just going on from after he sees the people and he tells his disciples to pray, he calls the 12 disciples to himself and he says, okay, after we've prayed, he gave them a... And the names of these men... The apostles. First was Simon and Andrew and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas and Matthew and James and Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas, even he would betray him later on, but he's there too. What did Jesus do as soon as he saw this, this need? He started praying. He started praying for these men that were right with him to prepare them to go. You know what Jesus didn't do? He didn't put an ad in the paper, right? He didn't put a Facebook post like, hey, anyone going to the needs of these people right here? You know what he did? He looked at those people right beside him and said, you've been watching me, we've been preparing for this, now you're ready to go. Are you being mobilized, or are you mobilizing others to go into the field? Now, what do you mean by that, Kevin? Are you in a discipleship relationship with someone. Is someone pouring into your life, helping you grow for the, with your love of Jesus, but also preparing to make disciples in the world? Are you in a discipleship relationship where people are pouring into you so you are being prepared to, to help others go into the field? Are you in that relationship? Kevin, I'm not. Okay, well, let me solve the problem for you right now. At every one of your tables, there are leaders of small groups that want to invite you in. And they have literally discipleship curriculum that they are asked by us to go through with you. There's literally disciple making going on right now. And I'll tell you what, you want to be a part of that, we want to supply it for you. That you would be prepared so whether or not you go overseas, you'll be preparing others to go overseas. You'll be ready. You need to be first mobilized yourself. Hey, it may be time for you to go. Or you may be spending time mobilizing others. When we were in Colorado, I'll tell you the coolest part. We met with church planters. We met people in churches all over the place. And here was the the steady refrain from all of those people: "If you have people that you could send to us to disciple others to make a greater impact in Boulder in Colorado, send it them." Isn't that interesting. See, so if you've got people, bring them in. We will prepare them and we will send them out to make a great impact in this place. And I was like. That's a siren call. We have great relationships with churches in Dallas. And one church in Dallas in particular said this. Um, that we asked them for some help, and they, and they said, Yeah, we're, here's some resources. And, and we're like, Thank you so much for helping us out. We were just really um, thankful that they would give us some of the resources. And then, and they said, Why would you? We just asked them, like, Why would you do this? And they go, You don't know? And we're like, No, we have no idea what you're talking Why are you helping us? And they said, We get college students to our church from all over Texas, all over the nation. But 100% of our leaders are Aggies. I was like, that's what I'm talking about, right? (laughs) It was awesome. I was like, that's inspiring. And you know the problem? There's a bigger world than Dallas. (laughs) There's needs a lot further. And we are committed to mobilizing, preparing you to go. So that no matter where you land, maybe you're even picking strategically. I want to be part of that church and that place so I can have a job and mobilize more people to reach more places with the gospel. We want to be a part of what God is doing in the world. We want to help you. I also want to show you one example of a person who walked through these stages in their own life. And is now spending her time mobilizing others to reach the world with the gospel. Her name is Sarah Wampler. Have Sarah come on up. Give her a hand. She comes up. Well, Sarah was a student here at a And uh I'm gonna right over here. a well, student here at A and M. And she, I'm going to let her share a little bit of her story, if she can kind of bring it over here. Totally. So, yeah, Sarah, tell us a little about yourself. Where are you from? What did you study? And uh, what are you doing now?
1: So, yeah, so my name is Sarah Wampler, and um, I'm actually originally from Austin, but I chose the better side and came to Texas A&M. I knew about Jesus since pretty much the moment I came out of the womb, probably, I heard Um, All about him from my parents and loved church, loved learning about the Bible. Um, And I really, though, through middle and high school, I would say my Christianity was um, me trying to hold on to some kind of morality. Like, I was just really, really glad that I was better than the people around me. Mm -hmm. And that's what I thought that Christianity was really was. And I would tell people it's a relationship, not a religion. But the way that I lived that out, I would keep myself—the way I was actually picturing it this morning is like— a germaphobe in a hospital, like just kind of walking through, like not wanting to get too close to people um, that I saw as less moral or less good than me, Mm. and through that, through middle school and high school, I got tons of opportunities to go on short-term trips. My mom actually took me to Romania in fifth grade, so I was super young, and um, that was when just my love for traveling and other cultures and mission trips started growing, But I think really that that desire, I didn't know about the unreach back here that Kevin talked about last week, and I didn't know what it looked like to be a disciple maker in Texas, in the U.S., and I would go on these short-term trips and be amazed at what God was doing overseas and what He did through me overseas, but then I would come back home and it was like riding a camp high, you know, I came back home and I had no idea how to apply what I did overseas to my life um, here. And that caused me to ask a lot of questions and even start pursuing, man, maybe I want to go on long-term missions because if I can experience God this way overseas, then I want to do that long-term. And I went on a gap year to El Salvador in Central America and spent 10 months um, really asking that question, do I want to do this long-term? And honestly, I came back from that year and told God I wasn't interested in missions and I wasn't interested in ministry, and now my job is in full-time ministry in the missions area. So obviously God did something in me in awesome. um, college. So That's
0: really cool. That's really cool. So uh, God kind of led you um, to himself at an early age. I think a lot of people are kind of in that spot here. You did a gap year, planned not going to missions. So what was the change in college that, that made you mobilize people from here to go all over the world?
1: Yeah, so, um, so I came to a m after my gap year, and I was looking around, trying to actually find people. Like, is there anyone who lives this kind of lifestyle, a missions um, lifestyle of actually making disciples of all nations, not just talking about it? Yeah. And my roommate, sophomore year, she started reading the Bible with an international friend. And it was funny because I think that there was just pride in me because I'd been on a a trip, you know, a year-long trip. I thought I needed to have it all together, but I didn't even know how to read the Bible with an international. So I didn't participate. I would just watch sometimes, or I would go to my room and study instead. And uh, the Holy Spirit just started to kind of stir this honesty with myself. Like, I actually don't know how to do this, but I want to know how to. And my sophomore year in the spring, I stepped into a multiply group and learned how to start meeting internationals, how to start meeting just my classmates Mm -hmm. um, and sharing with them. And I was also taking a class called Perspectives at the time. It's a 15-week course that goes from Genesis to Revelation like Kevin did, but over 15 weeks, so you go really in-depth. And as I did both of those things, God rocked my world. And, man, he humbled me because I was that girl who would tell people proudly that I'd been on tons of trips and that I knew all about overseas. And he just said, really, Sarah, do you? Um, through that course. And, um, yeah, another way that in college this happened is I went to North Africa with Grace for a vision trip for a 10-day trip. And while I was there, I got to see, it was nothing that I did, it was actually, I just sat down with him, asked him his story, told him some of mine, and he was so fascinated with Jesus. And we just opened up the Bible and read a couple of pages about his death and resurrection, and he said, I want to follow him. Um, And that, I think that was my first ever step into the world of the unreached, because the places I'd been before were not considered unreached. Um, In North Africa, there are so few believers, and um, after that, I went and I lived in Turkey over the summer after my junior year, after going through a go group, which was preparing me to go overseas long-term. Those are groups at Grace that prepare long-term goers, Um, and in Turkey, there's one specific memory I have that stands out, which is being in a city on the coast in the north of Turkey, And I'd already learned there are about 80 million people in Turkey and about 7,000 believers total. So Kevin earlier said that at Breakaway, on a good night, there's 10,000 believers gathered. So 7,000 believers in the entire country of Turkey, less than Breakaway. And that's spread out through 80 million people. And while I was there, we were in a city, and we were sitting down with a family in their living room who had lived in Turkey for 10 years as workers. And this family was the only one in their entire city. Like, in, the only people there that were believers, the only workers there, and they were the only workers in their entire region. So they started telling us, they they did this. I wasn't even expecting the Holy Spirit to, like, clutch my heart like he did, but they were just telling us about a city down the road. They said, yeah, this city has no believers in it. No one's planning to go there. If you want to come, you should. And I just, I couldn't even breathe. I actually started crying and I, I, in that moment, said, "God, I will the rest of my life pray for this city, wow. and pray that laborers would be raised up to it, and to others in Turkey." And that's just one city out of dozens and dozens sure. and dozens of cities just in the, the t- um, country of Turkey that have no believers in them, no workers, and no one either praying for them or planning to go to them. Wow,
0: wow, that's awesome. Well, it's not awesome. There's no believers, but awesome. That God breaks your heart, you know, as you really see it. Um, so, you went, you saw, now you're mobilizing at this point. So what, what's God doing with you now? And, and what do you see as your part within God's big story and mission at this point?
1: Yeah, so um, right now I'm mobilizing full-time here. So that means I get to sit down with guys and girls and share with them about the unreached and share with them from Genesis to Revelation, God's love for all people, and it's the best job ever, honestly. Awesome. Um, and yeah, that's what I do full time. And I um, day after day ask the Lord to still keep my hands open to going long term. Hmm. Um, and that's one thing that I would say to all of you is that it does not matter um, where God leads you, what you end up doing, but if you are not willing to get on your knees and ask God. Lord, would you have me go? It could even be later down the road in your life, or it could be uh, right after you graduate. But if you're not praying that prayer, you're missing out on a beautiful thing with the Lord where you actually lay down your ambitions and ask him to give you his. Uh, Because this is central to his heart. If it wasn't, it wouldn't be on the first page of the Bible, and it wouldn't be on the last. Uh, That's not a mistake at all. Um, So that's kind of where I'm at, is willing to go whenever God says go, but right now just excited to mobilize here in the United States. That's awesome. That's awesome.
0: So uh, if people are interested, if their hearts are stirred, hey, to, to go overseas, what are some options that they can participate in?
1: Yeah, so, um, well, the first thing I'll say is that um, I think the best scripture to come back to when thinking about going is where Jesus says, Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Mm-hmm. And this is a strong statement, but I would say that if you say you follow Jesus, but you're not a fisher of men, then, I mean, to walk with him is to be a fisher of men. That's what he says. If you come, you follow me, I will make you. He does the action. It's not something you have to produce on your own, but that is something he will naturally produce in you. And so there are three main ways Kevin and I were talking about um, how can we encourage you guys to go and be disciple makers. And the first way is with just your neighbors and classmates. And I know you all hear all the time, share your faith with people in your classroom, all those things. But I want to give you a little picture kind of how the unreached relate to this. Um, So all these back here are 3 billion unreached um, people made up of uh, about 7,000 people groups. And God, in his sovereignty and kindness, put 5,000 international students in College Station. And guess where they're from? They're all, almost all of them, from unreached groups, from India, from China, from Turkey, from Iran, even that city that I was talking about in Turkey, there could be um, someone here. I have some Turkish friends here, and they're from all over Turkey, places where normally they could never hear the gospel, (laughs) 5,000 of them. So one of the best places to start is just being friendly to that Chinese guy in your class who you've never talked to before. You could be talking to someone who's from a region of the world where he will never Hear the gospel unless it's shared with him while he's here in the U.S. Awesome. Um, so that's a great place to start. And of course, with American classmates too, as Kevin mentioned, there's so many people suffering, but we're not willing to kind of, um, you know, put our own agendas down and just talk to them and ask them questions. So start there. Asking questions and listening to people is one of the best ways to love them. Awesome. And then I would say considering going on a short term trip with Grace. There are six-week trips to East Asia, North Africa, Greece, and Sweden. And we would love for you to come and talk to us in the I'm Going shirts. There's a bunch of us around the room. We would love to talk to you about what that looks like. And also the winter trips this, um, this coming winter are great options too. And we would love to talk to you about what that looks like. I cannot think of a better way to send, spend your summer than um, going among the unreached, going among people who've never heard, and getting practice sharing with them. Um, And then the last way is to consider going long-term. In order for all of these people, three billion people, to hear the good news of Jesus, there need to be many, many, many believers who say, Lord, I am willing to lay my life down. I'm willing to go. Sometimes it takes three years even to just learn a language and culture. So my friends, I have two friends who are in East Asia, who have given a minimum of 10 years to the Lord, saying, God, we will be here as long as you want us so that the people here can know the good news. So pray about going long-term, and if that really freaks you out, that's good. Because following Jesus, (laughs) yeah, because Jesus did so many uncomfortable things, and he said that to follow him was to pick up your cross. And follow him. And so um, if you're not praying prayers like that that scare you, then start now. Um, And if you want to talk about going long-term, that's what I get to do every day. So you should come talk to me or Phillip's right there in the back in the glasses. There he is. Um, Go talk to him, too. And we would love to just get you connected and share how grace sends people long-term. And the best way to do that after this is to go to the information tables, and they have QR codes. You can scan them with your phone and learn about mission trips um, this winter and summer. And yeah, talk to, like I said, there's a lot of people in I'm going shirts and they would love to talk to you.
0: That's awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah. Hey, let's give her a hand. Thank you so much. Well, the, the band's going to come up now as, as we close. and, and uh, But let me just give you one, one little challenge as, as we transition to some worship. The Christian life gets boring if you only sit in rows, um, go to Bible study, and, and pray every now and then by yourself with your Bible. Those are foundation. Those are, those are the meat and potatoes of the Christian life. But if you don't get in the game of seeing lives changed, seeing people come to faith, seeing major change in people, that is what makes all of these moments make sense. And so my challenge to you is this. Get into the game by starting to pray, starting to give, getting ready to mobilize others, and ultimately so that you'll be ready to either go or to send people really, really well because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you that you have a magnificent harvest of people all over the world that need the life-changing message of the gospel. And Lord, I thank you that we are in a place like College Station where there's tons of believers, tons of people growing. But Lord, I pray that we would not stop with just our personal growth. We would see our personal growth as part of preparation to reach the world with your gospel. So Lord, I pray for each student here that you would see... Help them see where they need to play a part. And the God, that we would be ready to go when you call. Amen.